Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Anna Townsend, and I'm the preschool pastor here at Rolling Hills. We're bringing our series, Engage, to a close today with a message from Pastor Jacob. Prayer is a fundamental in the Christian walk, and we firmly believe that God listens to our prayers and can move in mighty ways through them. We hope and pray that this series and today's message encourages you with this truth today. Now, here's Jacob. You know, today we get to finish our Engage series, and I don't know about you guys, but it has been such a great series for me and my family and my community group. We have thoroughly enjoyed it, and today we get to end it with talking about prayer. And prayer is so important to us here at Roll Heroes. We, it's literally part of our values that prayer undergirds everything that we do here at Rolling Hills. And as a Belmont alumni, I'm excited that our guest teacher today to teach us about prayer is Dr. Greg Jones, the president of Belmont University. And let me just take a second to pray for us and to pray for Dr. Jones. Father, move in a powerful way here today, Lord. Show us yourself through teaching of your word, Lord, and teach us how to talk to you, Lord, and how you talk to us. And we ask all of this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's a great joy to be with you here at Rolling Hills Community Church and all those of you who are with us online. It's an honor and a privilege that Jeff invited me to be with you this morning. I bring you greetings from the faculty, staff, students, the larger community of Belmont University. My wife Susan and I joined that community on June 1st, and it's been a blessing to, to be in the Middle Tennessee area and to be able to serve Christ and to educate students at Belmont University. It's a great joy to be in this community and especially to be here this day. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, descend your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. Speak through me if necessary in spite of me and always beyond me that your word might be heard by your people this day. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is from James, the fifth chapter, the 16th verse, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. It was about 20 years ago in a week. I was dean of Duke Divinity School at the time. I was having a breakfast over at the Washington Duke Inn on September 11th, 2001 watched on the monitor as one plane went into a tower and another plane went into a tower. Word was about another plane heading toward the Pentagon and a plane over Pennsylvania, and all of a sudden the world seemed to come crashing down. What were we going to do? How were we going to navigate whatever was happening? 
I got back over to the school and got word that we were going to cancel classes as of noon across the university. That was a signal to me that we probably needed to have a prayer service. It was about 9.30 when I realized that. I called it for noon because I figured I was going to need some time to figure out what the heck we were going to do. I at least had the good sense to call two women to my office, one an Old Testament professor, the other my wife who worked at the Divinity School. So I called the two of them into my office and I said, you know, what's happened? And I, they said, we're, we're getting the information. I said, we gotta have a prayer service. We're gonna do it at noon. You got any ideas? First, my wife, Susan, said, I think we ought to open the time by singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I said, you gotta be kidding. Why that? She started reciting the words of the hymn, and then she said to me, she said, Greg, it's from Lamentations 3. I thought, oh. And as she recited the words, I thought, oh, that sounds pretty good. And then Ellen Davis, the Old Testament professor, said, well, then we should follow it up by praying Psalm 44, the last stanza. She just looked at me like she knew that I knew what Psalm 44's last stanza said, and I just kind of looked back at her, waiting for her to kind of remind me, so to speak. She just kept sitting there, so I went over and I got a Bible. I think she was reassured that the dean's office at least had a Bible in it if I didn't have the Bible memorized. And there I opened up that last stanza of Psalm 44. It begins, wake up, God, why are you sleeping? Wake up and execute your justice. I took a deep breath and I thought, oh my goodness, that gives voice to what I'm feeling right now. God, how are you allowing this to happen in our world, in our country, in New York, in Washington, in Pennsylvania? And all of a sudden, I had the framework for a service. And sure enough, at noon, we gathered in the chapel. And as we all sang, great is thy faithfulness, the roof about blew off the building. There was so much emotion and words and praise and petition, and it was all coming together to say, great is thy faithfulness, O God. And then bumping right up against that, we prayed, wake up, God, why are you sleeping? Please wake up and execute your justice. That sense of petition and calling on God to do something. Oh, you should have been there. I moved from the, the despair of seeing what was happening in our world and the helplessness I felt into a worship service and in the singing and in the praying, something powerful happened. I'll never forget that day. Well, there's some lessons that we can learn about prayer from what I learned from Ellen and Susan that morning. The first is that prayer is scriptural. Prayer is scriptural. Scripture gives us words to pray so that we're not dependent just on ourselves. If I had had to get up and fill a prayer service with prayers, I would have been fumbling around because sometimes, you know, words fail us, fail even the most eloquent of us when we just find ourselves saying, oh my goodness, what can we draw on? Psalms 
have often been described as the prayer book of the Bible, and we'll come back to that. But the Psalms have this incredible repertoire. No matter what your emotion, no matter what's going on during the day or in the month or in a whole season of your life, no matter what you're dealing with, the Psalms are a resource for you. You know why Ellen Davis could recite the last stanza of Psalm 44? Because she prays the Psalms every day. She prays six of them. And so the second thing to say is that prayer is scriptural. It's also a habit. You see, we get caught up in thinking that habit is a Catholic word, not a Protestant word. But we don't realize that if you're playing sports, if you're learning a musical instrument, if you're learning a craft, anything we do that's worth doing takes practice. And it becomes a habit. It becomes part of who we are. Ellen prays six psalms every morning. You know what that means? Every 26th day, she's working her way back through the Psalter. And that habit begins to shape her language, her imagination. So she has the repertoire of all 150 psalms right at her fingertips. We're called to have that kind of perspective with all of Scripture, to develop a scriptural imagination where it becomes like a second first language to us. But if we just focus on the Psalms, we can discover incredible power because it gives language when our language fails us. And so we have a sense that if, if, if we're praying through the Scriptures, praying the words that God gives us, praying the words that are resources for us, we can make it a habit. We can make it part of who we are. <laughs> you think about those habits you ever notice when somebody is a great basketball player and they do something imaginative, we say, look at how graceful they are. Or a ballerina or a musician, we just come out on how graceful they are, how natural it seems. And yet, you know what lies behind all of that? A lot of practice, a lot of habits to make it become part of who they are, just an expression of their very being. So prayer is scriptural. It's also habit. And the third thing is, it's personal and it's communal. It's both personal and communal. You see, our personal prayer, whether it's praying the Psalms every morning, or whether it's also engaging in just study, whatever that personal life of prayer might be, we also then bring it into community, and the community helps to shape our personal prayer. We learn to sing together in community. The worship band was so beautiful in lifting us up, and some of those words that, were, that we were singing, all of a sudden I just had to stop and say, yes, God, please. Because it's a community experience. We'll talk more in a moment about the importance of that communal pray and praying for one another and intercessory prayer and why that matters so much. But sometimes we think that, per, that prayer is only personal, that it's only private, or all that matters is what we do when we show up in church or in Bible study. And yet it's supposed to mark all that we are and all that we do. And the better we are at personal prayer, the better we'll be at communal prayer and vice versa. I love the ways in which music and hymns often can be a resource. When my wife Susan prays in public, 
at events and things, she often begins with the stanzas of a familiar hymn or worship song. And it just has a way of drawing us together. It's personal and it's communal. And ultimately what we're aiming for and what Susan and Ellen that day so powerfully exhibited is prayer is living in God. It's sweeping us up into life with God. That we're called to see all that we are and all that we do in the light of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. And so it's about living in God and seeing the world the way God sees it. If you wanna think of what it means for the prayer of the righteous to be powerful and effective, that righteousness is about what it means for us to locate our lives in God. You know, in that wonderful scene in Aladdin, when Jasmine and Aladdin get on the magic carpet, they sing a song, a whole new world, a whole different point of view. That's what prayer does for us, is it locates us in life with God, so that we can see a whole new world. We can see a different perspective. Dorothy Day used to say when she was working at the Catholic Worker House, she said that she wanted to live her life in a way that wouldn't make sense if God doesn't exist. We ought to live our lives praying actively with God, in God, in a way that we just couldn't see the world the same way anymore. To see the world as God sees it is at the heart of what it means for prayer to be scriptural, a habit, to be personal and communal and about living in God altogether. Well, in order for us to practice that sense of prayer in an engaged way, we need to understand there are different kinds of prayer for different kinds of seasons that are gonna shape us and help us locate ourselves in God. And the first thing that I wanna to suggest to you about the forms of prayer is silence. Silence. We've gotta learn how to shut up if we're gonna actually align ourselves with God. Now I confess, most of my prayers have a laundry list of things I want God to do for me. And then when I shut up, I'm done. But that's not how it works. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. That sense of being still and knowing that I am God. I have a friend in Burundi. She's now in exile in Rwanda after having threats put on her life by Burundi's president. She's an extraordinary Christian woman. She's done amazing things in social entrepreneurship. She, she's changed the lives of thousands, thousands of young children in extraordinary ways. We were giving her an honorary degree at Duke for the, the work she'd done in social entrepreneurship in Burundi and she came to see us and I, I said, Maggie, I remember when I see you and uh, you're always going away from five o'clock to six o'clock in the afternoon for prayer. Could you tell me what do you do when you pray? Because I was looking for some techniques to help me. She said, well, I mostly sit and listen to God. Dad gummit. When I do that, I usually fall asleep. I wanted something that would help me understand she's closer to God than I am. So she has this relationship where she can sit in silence and just listen 
and hear God speak. Now she's also formed in that scriptural pattern of prayer so that God speaks through God's word and scripture and she can hear that and it centers her in powerful ways. I'm a lifelong Methodist. I, my father, my grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather are all Methodist preachers. It's the family business. So when we went to South Africa, I was really appreciative of seeing how the Methodist church in Southern Africa had done some really powerful witness. And I got to know a guy there named Peter Story, and he told me a story about when he was working with Desmond Tutu. Tutu was the executive secretary of the Council of Churches, and Peter was the president. They were working together against apartheid. It was tough, it was challenging. There were all sorts of crises all the time. And he said the tutu would go away once a month on a silent retreat. And Peter, ever the person wanting to fix things and do things, was always annoyed that Desmond would just go away for a couple of days, even after the churches were bombed by the Afrikaner government. Tutu went away, left Peter to handle all the media requests from around the world. Well, after apartheid ended, Tutu was chairing the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. One day he was on one of his silent retreats and Nelson Mandela had become president of the country and he asked, for, uh, he asked to speak to Tutu. Tutu was at a convent of Episcopal nuns who were caring for him and helping him with his silent retreat. So Mandela calls the convent and a nun answers and says, uh, hello, may I help you? And she says, and he says, may I speak with Archbishop Tutu? And she says, he's not available. Mandela says, this is President Mandela. She says, I understand he's not available. He says, um, this is state president, Nelson Mandela, the president of your country. And she said, I understand he's not available. She hangs up the phone. Well, it was the 90s, cell phones were then developed, so Mandela finds a way to get a cell phone to Tutu. He takes the call to handle whatever business they want. Tutu, shocked and appalled that the nun had not let the phone call go through, so he goes to the nun and he says, do you know who was trying to call me? She says, yeah. He said, you really do? And she says, yes, it was President Mandela. He said, why didn't you put him through? She said, oh, he's a Methodist. He doesn't understand the power of silence. I need to be reminded of that a lot because that time of silence can center us, can orient us. It reminds us that God is God, that Christ is Christ, the Spirit is the Spirit. They are the center of the universe as the triune God, not me. And so it's that silence, that listening, that attentiveness that's at the heart of prayer. And yet, there's a second form of prayer that we began worship with today, praise. The Psalms, the same Psalms that say be still and know that I am God also say make a joyful noise to the Lord. Huh? They're different moments, different seasons in our day, in our life. We need times of silence to center us and then we need times to give expression to praise and joy. The final five Psalms Psalms 146 to 150 are all a crescendo of all forms of prayer to say hallelujah. Oh, it's extraordinary to think of our 
lives overflowing in praise for God's goodness, for God's redemption, for God's forgiveness, for all the ways in which God's at work in our lives. And so we're to be people of praise. St. Augustine said a Christian should be an alleluia from head to toe. No matter what's going on in your life, we ought to be people of praise. It's significant and powerful, that sense of praise. It's not a contradiction to say be still and know that I'm God and make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's both bound up together. The third form of prayer is lament. Lament. Because there are times in our life when there's struggle, when a loved one has a terrific, a horrific diagnosis and facing significant pain, or when something bad has happened through work, you've lost your job, or when a child becomes wayward, the kind of lament that we see in so many dimensions It's the kind of lament that we hear even Jesus say on the cross as he quotes the psalmist in Psalm 22, my God, why have you forsaken me? You ever feel that way? You think you've been trying hard, you've been doing well, you've been praying, you've been coming to church, you've been doing what you think God wants you to do, and then everything feels like it's falling apart? St. Teresa of Avila once said in one of her prayers, God, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. We all run through those times when we're filled with lament. Maybe it's because of us. Maybe it's because of what's happening to loved ones. Maybe it's because of what's happening in the world. And we just say, how long, O Lord? That sense of lament. It's bound up in lamentations as the song Great is Thy Faithfulness points to of still recognizing that God is God, that God is sovereign, that God loves us and yet there's this gap between what we long for in the Lord's Prayer and what we feel in our daily lives and if we aren't willing to lament then we'll keep it bottled up. Lament is a way of giving expression to the pain and the suffering that we feel the gap between God's will and our will, between what God promises to bring when the kingdom comes in its fullness and the reality of our broken and fragile and vulnerable lives and world. And so it's that lament that enables us to pour out. When you read the Psalms, you realize that the Psalms run the full gamut of emotions. And it's really powerful to be able to lift that up in lament. God's able to take it. God can listen to our lament. It's chalked through all the scriptures, including his own son on the cross. Lament and that kind of sense of the gap is connected to the form of prayer called petition, which our passage just before James 5.16 points to. It's that sense of calling out and petitioning for for something that we yearn for. When someone is sick, that we pray that they would be healed. When someone is struggling, that they would find a sense of peace. That's an important dimension. The petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We're called to pray the Lord's Prayer 
every day of our lives as a recentering of us, and it includes petitions that need to be centered in God. Now, I sometimes just get a little tongue-tied, and so when it says, God, thy will be done, I just get a little tongue-tied and I say, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because what I really wanna say to God is, I got the plans and if you conform your plans to mine, things will go better, especially in my family's case. The prayer is a petition to say, thy will be done. And so if we can lift our petitions up to God in a way that's aligning us with God, we'll be able to discover a greater intimacy with Fifth form of prayer is closely related to petition, but it's specifically praying for others. It's intercession. Intercession. It's a big fancy word to just say we're interceding, we're praying for someone else. There's a wonderful story in Mark's gospel in the second chapter. It's a story about a paralyzed man Jesus is in a house and there are so many people in the house, they can't get through, they can't enter the house, and yet they wanna get this paralyzed man before Jesus. So they go around, they get up on top of the house, they cut a hole in the roof, and they lower the paralyzed man down so that he's right before Jesus. Intercession is about us being those friends loving our other friend so much that we wanna put them before Jesus. We do that in prayer, when we lift up the concerns of people. Well, we only can know that if we are actually listening to our friend and know what their needs are. Not just what they say their needs are, but perhaps the deeper issues in their lives, that we can lift them up and we pray with intercession for those people. The fifth chapter of James is all about that kind of intercession for those who are suffering, those who are sick, those who are in need of forgiveness. All those dimensions. You see, the petition may be for me when I need forgiveness, when I need my heart to be cleansed. But intercession is when we're interceding on behalf of others before God, putting them in front of Jesus in a powerful way. The sixth form of prayer is confession. It's explicitly referred to here in James 5.16, to confess our sins. It's very different than the way we see what sometimes is called confession in our public space and in the media. You know, then usually it's, it's got lots of hedging and qualifiers and it's put in the passive voice. We're sorry if someone was offended or mistakes were made. Kind of like, you know, when Aaron is at the golden calf in the book of Exodus, uh, the golden calf comes out and he's confronted by Moses and he says, well, you know, we just put some jewelry in and out came a golden calf. Who knew? Nobody takes responsibility. There's no agency. When we talk about confession, it's not about I'm sorry if you were hurt. It's I'm sorry, full stop. Psalm 51 the great psalm of David confessing his adultery with Bathsheba. Create in me a clean heart, O God, a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. Wow. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God. That sense of confession is to say, we can only be fully cleansed. We can only fully receive the the forgiveness that God so strongly wants for us if we're willing to open ourselves up before God and say it full stop. Create in me a clean heart, O God, a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. It's linked also to that praise of all the goodness that God does. And you know, one of the things I've learned over the years in confession is that usually I start out thinking I know what I'm confessing and then I realize there's another layer underneath and maybe even another layer underneath it. And as it goes on, all of those things come together. And it's that confession that's linked to the other forms of of prayer. The seventh form of prayer I wanna highlight is to return us to silence contemplation. It's that sense as we pray other forms of prayer, praise and lament and petition and intercession and confession, that there are times again when we're silent and we contemplate the goodness of God. We contemplate the beauty of God. We contemplate the the goodness of God and God's love for us and all the majestic ways, and you know what that takes? Time, time. The rhythms of our life, God created us for rhythms of work, rest, and play, and all of us get so busy, and particularly if you have young children at home or older parents that you're caring for and you're working and everything else is happening and things get going, it's really easy to just get so busy that you say a quick prayer here and a quick prayer there, but you're just consumed with busyness. I sometimes find myself uh, so consumed that I end up getting sick. That's when Susan reminds me, if you don't observe the Sabbath, sickness becomes your Sabbath. If we don't have rhythms where we stop and contemplate and ponder the goodness of God, that contemplation can be just through reading scripture and just reflecting in the Psalms. It can be a time at the end of day when you keep a journal of gratitude for the ways in which you've seen God at work in your life today. It's just a reflective time to be sure that we're centering ourselves in God. Now all seven of these forms of prayer I'm talking about, it's not like they're separated from one another entirely. Even when you're silent, you can be giving praise. Even when you're giving praise, there might be this dimension of petition and lament or intercession, often our prayers are filled with all of them bound up together. What's important is that they become part of our daily life, that those rhythms of work, rest, and play have prayer woven through them so that we're centered in Christ in all that we are and in all that we do. So what prayer really is, it's a holistic approach to life. And I want to highlight four dimensions of that, that holistic approach. First, it's about the words we use. If we're going to be prayerful people, aligning ourselves with God, then we need to be focused on being sure that the words we speak are appropriate to the word whom we follow. And 
We see in scripture that we're called to pray without ceasing. That means that the words we use when we're talking to our spouse or our parents or our children or our friends or our coworkers or our boss or our subordinates, our words ought to be appropriate to Christ. We're none of us are perfect. Doesn't mean we're always just being saccharine nice. The letter to the Ephesians says, be angry but do not sin. It's appropriate to give expression to our frustration, and yet we need to do it in life-giving ways rather than destructive ways. How often we become careless with language and it breaks things apart. I don't know whoever started that old kid's ditty, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I think somebody started saying that because words do hurt so powerfully. We may say it, and we need to remember that words matter. And so the words of our prayers need to be bound up, and part of praying is a way of schooling ourselves to use words better. The second way in which prayer is holistic is it's about bringing our emotions before God. It doesn't help to just push them down or to repress them. I was leading a Bible study with a group of folks and a really wonderful guy, a judge. We were reading a book alongside about the Psalms and he said, well, the author of this chapter is just wrong. I said, what, what do you mean that she's wrong? He said, well, she says that there are Psalms of, of that there's, it's okay to be angry and to be filled even with rage as long as we bring it before God. And I said, well, is your complaint with her or her interpretation of the Psalm? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, let's look at the psalm. We turned to the psalm, we opened it up, and there the psalmist is filled with rage at the injustice that's happening to his community, and he's lifting it up before God and saying, God, do something about this. Saying in Psalm 44, wake up, God, why are you sleeping? As a kind of raging complaint. And this judge, a wonderful person, started crying. Tears just welled up, he said, my parents taught me that I was always supposed to be appropriately dignified with God. And I said, well, the Psalms suggest we can bring whatever emotions we're feeling and just empty them out in prayer. Whether it's praise and just overflowing goodness and joy, or whether it's rage, or whether it's despair, Whatever it is, we can lift it up before God and I hope we can lift it before one another in prayer. If all we do are have words, we don't bring it to connect to our emotions, something's missing because we're whole people. And that's why the third part of holistic prayer is letting music take shape for us. Remember what I said about St. Augustine saying that anyone who prays sings twice? It's because the words work on us and our minds and yet the music often works on our emotions. I've been listening recently to C.C. Winans' song, The Goodness of God. It just has a way of centering my emotions. I've joked that if you see me anywhere on campus and I'm listening to The Goodness of God, just wonder what my last meeting was like because I'm probably trying to recenter myself. When our emotions get a hold of us and they become challenging, that's when we need to be recentered, and music does that so powerfully. The psalms were often sung. 
And whether it's hymns or worship songs or secular songs, whatever they might be, they have a way of reorienting us in prayer. How often have I seen people, families, be able to reach loved ones in a hospital during a time maybe the person is unconscious or in a coma and the music connects to them. I've seen times when singing Amazing Grace, someone who's otherwise not conscious, their lips start to move. It's part of those habits, and it's also part of the power of music to touch our souls at very deep and profound ways. It's about words, it's about emotions, it's about music, and it's also about life. It's about praying without ceasing. It's about making our entire life come alive so that we are the righteous that James 5.16 talks about. Our prayers are powerful and effective because we're embodying that prayer in life. It doesn't do any good to pray at the beginning of a meeting or to pray at the beginning of a meal if then right after that we descend back into brokenness and sinful patterns of relationship. It's about embedding prayer in our life and so other people see the light of Christ shining through you and me and us. That's what it means for prayer to be holistic. It's about our words, it's about our emotions, it's embedding that in music that can be the way in which our praise takes expression and it's then living that day in and day out so that all we are is an expression of our trust and confidence in God. Well, friends, that suggests that we have two tasks if we're really gonna become prayerful in all that we are and all we do. The first is to align ourselves with God, to be sure that we are developing an intimacy with God in what we are and what we do. To be sure it's thy will be done, not mine. It's to be about that intimacy with God. You see, too much of the of the noise is coming from the shallow end of the pool. The closer you become to God, the more you're aware that you're not God, and the deeper and more resonant the prayers are, and the more powerful and effective they will be because of that intimacy. Then it's about aligning ourselves with the Father and the Spirit through Christ. Because we pray with Christ, that's what the Lord's Prayer is all about, that we would pray with Christ, turning to the Father in contemplation and turning to the Spirit who's at work in the world. To pray for ourselves and our community and our petitions and to reach out and to pray for the world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray that thy kingdom, that God's kingdom will come in its fullness and we will see that new creation when there's no longer any despair. No more tears, no more suffering, for then God will be all in all. It's about our intimacy with God and aligning ourselves with the Father and with the Spirit. Well, there's one more way I wanna put it. I told you earlier about Maggie, my friend who prays for an hour every afternoon. And she's told me that she just listens to God during that time. When I asked her the question, she could tell I was disappointed that I was wanting some help with something I might do. And that's when she told me that there's one prayer she prays every morning before she starts her day. 
I said, Maggie, could you tell me what that prayer is? She said, well, I don't know how it would sound in English. I said, well, could you try it in English? Because your English is better than my Kirundi, her first language, or French, her second language. And she paused and she thought about it for a moment. And she said, I think it would go something like this. Lord, let your miracles break forth every day and let me not be an obstacle in any way. I said, Maggie, that's pretty good in English because it sums up what a life of prayer is all about and how we can nurture and sustain that so that it shapes us into holy people in all that we are and in all that we do. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective because it's scriptural and it's habit and it's personal and communal and it's about life with God. Aligning ourselves in intimacy with God, praying with Christ to the Father and with the Spirit. My prayer for you and for all of us is that each and every morning we would expect God to break forth miracles in every way that we might not be an obstacle in any way. For when we do, whether it's 9-11 or anything else joyful or painful in our lives, we'll be aligned and centered in Christ. So let us go forth from this place to be people of prayer, aligned with God and centered in Christ. And may the miracles break forth every day from God let us not be an obstacle in any way. Let us pray. God, we know that we can lift up our words, our emotions, all that we're feeling, and the music surrounds us and undergirds us. We pray, oh God, that in all that we are and in all that we do, we might be faithful to you, deepen our love for you. Come touch our eyes that our vision may be restored. Come touch our lips that our witness may be refined. Come touch our hearts that our love might be deepened. Come touch our lives that our discipleship might be stronger this day and all our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways that you can connect. We're so thankful for you.